Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers and for anyone who reads, anyone who loves stories, anyone who wants to know how the sausage is made, anyone who just wants to hang out around the campfire with writers, storytellers, human beings really. I don't really like this idea of a writer as an identity. Uh, I think it's, well, we can get into that in a little bit. Today's, uh, this is basically a the basis of this show is that um, I'm trying to help you, help us, write more, write better, and write happier. That's the. Those are our three. Those are our three manifesto pledges. Um, today I'm just recording a, a writing ramble episode. If you've not listened to the show before, these probably aren't the best place to get on because these are just unscripted episodes where I don't really know what I'm going to talk about. I just uh, switch the microphone on and record. So they tend to be long. They tend to be waffly. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to, I'd like to undersell and over deliver on, on these ones. And, and really, if I'm being absolutely frank with you, why was I going to say, I wasn't going to say Frank then. I was going to say Frankachu. I was going to make it a portmanteau of Pikachu and Frank. As if I thought just saying the word Frank. I'm not going to keep saying the word Frank because it's starting to make me feel a bit hysterical. But as if I, you know, as if I thought it was too boring to say on its own. And I had to kind of jazz it up a little bit to keep your attention. Because I was so worried I was going to be losing you early on. Don't go. Don't go. I'll say the opposite if you stay. This is what, what you know, like that thing where you're, you know, you're you're in the house when you, you say to your your flatmate says, "Do you want a cup of tea?" and you say, uh, and you say, uh, and they say, "How do you take it?" Probably bad, flatmate would be a bad example because they would know. Um, but you're around a friend's house and they say, "Do you want a cup of tea?" and you, they say, "How?" you say, "Yes," and they say, "How would you take it?" and you say, uh, "Oh, um, milk and uh, sugar." Please, you'd like add like a little bit of a French accent to try and make the mundane thing you're saying. Uh, would you like a uh, a sandwich? You just like add this like very uncommitted attempt at, at like a French accent, or maybe you go kind of like German or Spanish. Of course, if you are German, Spanish, or French, I don't know. I don't know whether is there an equivalent like in to in Spain? Do people sometimes when they're asking? They're making a mund replying to a mundane inquiry, try and cover up the mundanity of it by affecting a sort of comic British accent. I don't know if, if there are if we've got any Spanish listeners, if anyone anyone in the uh, in 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 a, a non in non Britain, people maybe do people do that in America? Do any of the American listeners do you like sometimes when you're a bit bored? Just sort of affect a, a sort of posh Englishman accent, and and say, or like a, or like a really bad sort of pastiche of, of a kind of like East End Barrow boy. Then go, all right then, mate. I don't know. Anyway, this is not what the show's about. I just, I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering whether other countries have this thing that seems to be ubiquitous in Britain of um of panicking that your interaction isn't entertaining enough and deciding spontaneously and apparently unconsciously that the way to just kill the lily is to, is to do a sort of like a like a a, a a naff uncommitted accent just to just to is you know it's just like hitting the um tremolo arm on the guitar to add a little wow to add a little vibrato except you just do it by inflecting it in an accent anyway that's not what today's gonna be about i don't know what i'm gonna talk about because these are unplanned but the reason i uh, the reason i record these is um is because i enjoy doing diary episodes i think they're fairly straightforward for me to do and I enjoy doing them and they allow me to talk about process and also they're the episodes that I get the most feedback from from listeners from people kind of engage from you sort of engaging with them people perhaps that's also because the last couple I've gone I'm really depressed the world is ending and so people hear that and obviously they worry about me and I've had loads of really lovely letters from 
listeners basically saying, are you all right? Uh, I'm sorry that you're feeling bad, which um, I'm really grateful for, actually. I don't want to, I'm not going to make too much of a joke about that because it's really kind. Um, you know, the episode wasn't a cry for help. It was me working through my feelings. I think that's one of the things that writing can do so well, actually, is give you space to engage with some of the trickiest things in your life. You know, and I think it, it does that whether you intend it to or not. You know, like the number of writers I've spoken to on this show even who don't think they're writing about anything particularly dark or traumatic or weighty or just autobiographical. You know, they don't think that they're engaging with something in their lives and it's only later when they look back at what they wrote that they go, oh, right, I see that that, you know, my feelings about this, you know, my worries about... uh, my child being hurt or my divorce or my frustrations with my dad or or whatever um i think that was coming out in this aspect of the the book and I, that's why i think writing can be so therapeutic apart from like we've done all these episodes now with social psychologists with neuroscientists um i've got you know still got some stuff coming up that i think you'd be really interested in where you know, we we can now see the literature, the studies showing, kind of confirming what we probably suspected anecdotally. But I think it's really good to have some actual data on it. So we're not just relying on uh, open bunny quotes, common sense, closed bunny quotes and intuition. Because sometimes there's counterintuitive stuff that we find as well. Um, but I think it's fascinating how writing can work as I'm sort of of increasingly seeing it as a kind of form of manual externalized dreaming where we can work through I had the weirdest dream this week are we going to go down this road I've been what so on um, YouTube I uh, because I do meditation I often use like meditation timers that are on YouTube you know 15 minute meditation timer um, to do my meditation and occasionally I'll do one of their kind of like guided like uh, body scan meditations or Buddhist meditations. Um, and because of that, the algorithm now goes, what is the stupidest shit? Like, <laughs> what's the stupidest shit? Like tangentially linked to what you're watching now that we can ram into your uh, recommended feed? Like, what is the the dumbest stuff that sort of like our super users people who are obsessively watching youtube people who frankly like happy people don't watch youtube all day but those are the people who drive the algorithms and that's what we're all stuck with is the is the kind of like is the kind of like beaten kind of like ant trails the pheromone trails of complete sociopaths and miserable human beings who who are rage clicking on stuff I mean, it's awful, right? It is awful. Um, and it, if only we had a choice. If only we had a choice not to just click on what the algorithms put in front of us. If only if we had some kind of like independent existence. But no, we don't. So, um, of course, I clicked on some of these things. So because I've used some, I've watched some, met, listened to some meditations and um, things like that. It, it's decided that what I want are um, trip reports from um, what I can only describe as DMT chats. So like white American douchebags talking about psychedelic trips in a way that makes them seem solely unappealing. Just like it's the like, it's the worst thing. And, and essentially going, here's the secret of the universe. I went and I took some psychedelics and I met God and God said, you can do anything you like. And then I woke up and my friend had the face of a frog. And it is like I, what I'm aware of and the reason I'm bringing this up is because they're, they seem so amazed by something that we have every night, which is just called like having a dream. And none of them are going on to say, let me tell you about my dream <laughs> last night. And yet I'm criticizing them. And yet here I am. Um about to tell you about this dream I, th- I had this dream this week that um well i've been having like, i had this dream that i'd pushed uh a teacher 
one of my old teachers out of a third story window and killed them. But nobody knew that I'd pushed them and it was assumed they'd fallen accidentally or possibly jumped. Uh, and a year had gone by and like the, the, the guilt of it or like this feeling that at some stage I would. There was not anything was ever going to lead back to me, but at some stage that I would tell someone and, and I was going to confess that was like the background of it was this feeling of like and and in the dream I'd kind of forgotten that I'd done it and then it was and then every now and then I would in my life I would remember and this terrible guilt and fear of being caught would like overwhelm me but then there'd be times when I'd that's how the dream kind of accounted for the fact that this hadn't affected me on a day-to-day basis was that I'd just forget that I'd killed I'd done a murder and then occasionally it would bring it up in this terrible, overwhelming sense of guilt. And, and what was interesting to me, at least, share a dream, lose a friend, everybody, was that um, the teacher was the teacher who's been appearing in a repeated dream, anxiety dream that I've been having every month, at least once a month for the past at least decade, um, where I haven't done my... I haven't I haven't revised for my maths A level and it is coming up tomorrow and I haven't done any revision and I haven't been going to the classes either and I've got no I like I don't have I don't know any of the stuff that that we're going to be tested on uh and and in this dream and I never took maths A level right so that's one of the reasons why my subconscious can't fill in any of the details uh you know it's such a and now I've and I've murdered it. I've murdered them in this dream. So I'm waiting to see whether I have that repeated exam anxiety dream anymore. Or whether now or whether now I've done the murder, the dream murder, that they don't come back. It's I, I read uh there's a really good book by uh, Richard Wiseman called um, Night School, where he talks about like the latest sleep research and studies they've done in like sleep clinics and studies they've done on depressed people with because as you know if you listen to previous episodes I've I've went through a period of depression recently I'm coming out of it now I feel a lot better still feel worried about the state of the world still feel stressed about what's going on in the UK still feel looking around for you know hope but i but i don't i don't feel clinically depressed like i was a week ago so thank you for your concern you know it's definitely there's elements of that that were definitely a kind of chemical but he but in the studies show that people who are depressed um spend more time in rem sleep they spend more time dreaming in that early stage of sleep in fact so much so that they often don't get as much deep sleep i think that's like delta wave sleep is what i want to say but um and it can make them feel very exhausted which can exacerbate the depression uh which kind of creates a vicious cycle but it suggests that when we dream and you know when they've done it's very very difficult to do quantitative studies on dreaming but it, it seems that dreams that people remember are more often than not have some kind of negative emotional component it seems we're theorizing tentatively that dreams have some role in helping to regulate and process emotional disturbances traumatic events uh, move them into our past uh, and properly can properly log and file them and stop us responding to them as if they are a, a clear and present danger you know as if there's something that we need to pump out cortisol and adrenaline for and activate that sympathetic nervous system and get us uh ready to fight flight freeze or faint um so and i wonder whether when we write we are taking some of that burden we whether we are naturally doing something and activating the same parts of our mind 
as we would do when we dream whether we are helping ourselves to practice difficult feelings stressful scenarios end of the world scenarios you know and we're giving ourselves like an imaginative therapeutic space to work through them I don't know and I think it really interests me and I think it's why you know I've got my novel The Ice House coming out and I'm not just crowbarring this in it's just because this is my life at the moment is I've in just over a month I've got my next book coming out and it was four years in the making and it was hard to write and I write you know for all my sort of talk about you know on the line I'm very almost robotic right I've got an algorithm that I run sentences through uh in fact I you know I, I'd love I think I might do an updated episode of um my sort of seven pillars of line editing your novel if you haven't heard that i'll put a link in the show notes or you can just go on the soundcloud page sound that's you can listen to any of the episodes of this show if you if you if you don't um already um via my soundcloud page soundcloud.com forward slash tim clep but seven pillars of line editing your novel is what it's called and I, i i talk a bit through the algorithm that i run on every sentence to make sure it's sounding how I want it to because you know I, however however shit people think I am uh, uh, I think you know most people think where you know most reviewers even when they've hated my the content of my novels think I'm pretty good on on the line and I'm I'm happy to accept that compliment I'm you know I, I, I don't think there's any point in having false modesty I've worked very hard on that aspect of my writing anyway um the the point being i think it's you know like when writers are kind of talking about all oh, my novels coming out oh, this one's really important to me and yeah and yeah, a lot of the time i'm like well i'm sure it is but actually nobody really cares especially when you see when you've got lots of writers saying that at once you'd get a little bit numb to it and i i'm sure some of you have felt that way about me talking about my book and getting all excited about it is it's looking much more exciting for the writer than it is for most other people but I think that's not a put on by authors and I think one of the reasons these things sort of resonate with you is, is you you create these worlds and these characters and at some level it's intuitive it's, no matter how much kind of like plot theory you put you know three act structure tri-face fail cycles uh seven seven master plots you know you however much sort of character theory however many big themes uh however many paradigms you try and kind of slot over the top to make sense of this gigantic wriggling squid that you're trying to wrestle down into some kind of tame assistant it's an intuitive process and and the novel is too big to see all at once it's like you're orbiting a planet like you, you the different parts of it are written weeks months apart often to the you know often to the extent that you can't remember whole sections when you read them back and you have to reintegrate stuff and it's it's a, it, it's a tricky process especially when you're someone like me who doesn't do things in a kind of linear way and has you know flashbacks and bits going backwards in time and different characters who want different things and different moods and different scenes and um and 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 inevitably you are following patterns and rules that you actually just don't you're not conscious of you're not cognizant that's um one of the things i some of you may know this but like years ago uh, me and a group of friends became quite obsessed with this French experimental literature group called the Oulipo, the Ouvoir de Literature Potentielle. Now, my French pronunciation is, is appalling. I do apologise, but um, they that they were interested. They were kind of like a reaction against the Surrealist movement, uh, where Surrealism was kind of going, "Hey, just like just break your mind out of its normal." ruts and be free paint a, a man with like a apple for a head or a watch look this watch is like a pancake or oh that's not a fun that's a lobster 
whoa, now are you broken out of your bourgeois mindset? Is society coming apart, it seems? And, and Ulipo were like, no, no, that's not you're, that's not freedom. You're just falling into cliches and obeying rules and habits that you're not aware of. What you need to do and what they started doing was setting themselves completely arbitrary restraints, like we're going to write a novel that doesn't contain the letter E. Uh, we're going to write a poem that the only vowel it uses is E. Uh, we're going to, if you read, I really recommend Georges Perec's Life for User's Manual, which has a set of multiple bizarre constraints on it, including that there's like a, I might have mentioned this before, but there's a, an apartment block, a, fr- a French apartment block, and the story moves, each chapter moves from, it, it takes place in a different room in that apartment block, and uh, the apartment block's laid out like a chessboard, and the story moves uh, in the manner of a knight on a chessboard. So like, say, for example, two floors up and one across. Um, and in doing so, over the course of the novel, visits every room twice. <laughs> I know, right? Like, And then there's other stuff about what's got to feature on each page. And and it's actually good. It's actually a good novel. I'm very anecdote rich. Like it's, page, it's very readable page by page and doesn't come across pretentious at all. It's actually loads of fun. But, the, you know, by doing this, they were trying to force themselves out of their normal mindsets. Their, it was a way of meaning that you couldn't possibly fall into cliche. You couldn't possibly fall into the grooves of old habits because you had completely arbitrary, you know, like on the face of it, stupid constraints. I mean, not on the face of it. They are stupid constraints, but so are the constraints of, say, tennis. Tennis is a ludicrous thing, right? All sport is like is a series of ludicrous constraints that allow and make room for incredible feats uh, within those constraints, right? Without a net, without lions, tennis would there would be nothing. There would be nothing left there, right? If there weren't rules. The rules are arbitrary, but they're voluntarily agreed between the players to create tension because you're now having to do things and squeeze things through certain windows. And I think that's what we can do with our writing um, that works so well, right? Is we can, we can, that's what we can do with our writing that works so well. Let me be more specific than that. We, as writers, we often, the, the, the biggest fear, right? the biggest moment of blanking is the is the blank page right is the is the void where anything could emerge ex nihilo out of this nothingness this great vast nothingness and you could start anywhere you could write about anyone you could write about anything that is paralyzing if i say to you okay there's a gentleman waiting on a station platform he is carrying a large hat box with a with a battered leather handle on top. Uh, he's looking around pensively. I want you to write me a story about whatever is in that hat box. And... I want you to do it from the perspective of the hat box. So it's going to be first person narrative. The hat box talking. Now that like that is a stupid. That was, you know, that, obviously I've just pulled that out of my ass. But that is a stupid set of constraints. But that is a much easier story to write. And that's actually much more conducive to creativity. You probably immediately start to have one or two ideas, suspicions, uh, inklings of what might be in that hat box. Is something alive? Is it a severed head? You know that, and then you go, no. Okay, we're going to ignore our first. That's that's kind of like our first cliche would be to say there's a severed head inside the box, right? We're going to go down that route. Okay, so let's. I mean, if the severed head was then narrating the story, and if the severed head is still alive, 
that so now now this is the other thing we can do is we can always go okay if this is a cliche how can we upend the cliches another that's an algorithm you can always run on your own work right if like this guy is the butler of the severed head if we've got essentially like a kind of form of lichdom inside this head that this is a somebody who's preserved their life this is a you know like a that maybe this severed head is a a was as like a noble woman from who's been alive hundreds of years and now survived to the present day and is is looking for a new a new body perhaps they're they're hoping to meet a surgeon who's taking the Eurostar a um into London perhaps they're wait, waiting at, at King's Cross for a Swedish surgeon who they're going to, the butler is going to make a, uh, it's going to take to a private room and uh, talk to them about their their purported speciality in restorative surgery and then reveal the head. That's like really, so immediately, right, this stupid set of constraints gives the beginning of what could be a story. Now, of course, I went down the genre route because that's where my heart is. But what I'm saying is con- the constraints are conducive to creativity in a way that freedom really isn't. Look, I'm, I'm in favour of freedom sort of politically and ideologically in real life. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not, <laughs> this, is, this isn't the way that I sort of slowly boil the uh, frog of totalitarianism in my listeners because I know you're very easily, uh, I know you're so lovely um that you you listen to me and that what i say matters to you and so i don't want you to think i'm slowly going no you see that really freedom is a kind of freedom is a kind of uh terrible tyranny and actually we're really free when every aspect of our life is controlled i'm not saying that but in creative writing setting yourself challenges i guess is why that's how I would you know that's how that's where the magic of creative that's where your brain starts doing stuff and that's where when people are sort of who think that they can't write uh, they've often given themselves just two broad parameters and when you start giving them challenges so when so that's that's the perverse thing and this is actually where we move away from you know when I was talking about common sense versus counterintuitive things and why it's good to rely on to, to sometimes fall back on data this is a great example of that right because intuitively you go oh let's make how can we make things easier if you can't write how can we make things easier and the instinct would be more freedom fewer constraints we're going to make things less hard but actually i think when someone's stuck when someone's struggling i'd always want to give them a harder challenge basically or what looks on the face of it a harder challenge. Fewer options. I say, you've got to thread the needle through this, this, and this. I want a story with a uh, a mortician. Uh, he it's got to include a cricket bat, and um, he has a problem that he is stranded that is easier to do than just saying write a story and giving someone a blank page and you know and this is why and and that's what your dreams do right that's our subconscious takes it's like it gets a bunch of prompts from you in the day it goes what have we been worrying about okay we've been worrying about failure the end of the world guilt the feeling that you're going to be found out that you've forgotten people and it takes those things those elements and then it mixes them with you know a like someone that you've thought of once in the day or uh, an aside that someone mentioned or uh, something you read online and it just mixes all those elements together and it creates a little story a little narrative for you and that's you know and these things come out you know these things these moves these tendencies all come out when you write as well and that's why i think in the end what we have to do and and, you know i've not been very productive this week i'll be 
completely H with you. I've not been very productive uh, and I feel bad about it. But I think we, you know, especially when the world's political situation seems to be churning and seems sort of out of control and stressful, we have to focus on what we can control um, and put our efforts in there. And, you know, with the world, it's often things like sending letters, going on marches, even if you think they're not going to be useful. I think it's always better to do something and let it be someone else. You know, this is like, like the, 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 you know, my policy towards like things like activism is the same as like my policy to like submitting to magazines or competitions. If you go, well, it's not really worth it. I don't think this thing is good enough. I don't think they're going to want, you know, me for me. I'm not going to apply to this prize because it's not, you know, they they won't choose me. I don't think I'm good enough. It's like fucking let them come up with the excuses and do the work of excluding you. Don't do it yourself to save them the paperwork. And it's the same with like applying to people saying, oh, there's no point writing to my MP. Their voting history has been this way or there's no point uh doing a petition or there's no point marching because they won't listen anyway and it's like well you're doing their work for them when you do that because you're saying well so i won't so i actually i'm not going to make my voice heard and actually you don't know the ways that these things can kick off and it's their work to you want to make them have to work to ignore you right you want to make it hard for them and it's the same with I've applied to so many, you know, grants, prizes, uh, you know, applying to magazines, sending stuff to, you know, before I was published, sending stuff to agents. And you'd be surprised how often those things pay off. And you don't need to. It's tough because the more you apply for stuff, the more you go for stuff. The higher your fail rate becomes. Because you won't get rejections in the post if you don't apply to anything. If you don't apply to grants, if you don't apply to competitions, if you don't send stuff to magazines, if you don't send stuff to agents, if you don't look for opportunities online for writers and, you know, get in, uh, get in touch with those people. If you don't email people asking for support or advice, you won't get emails back saying no thank you not this time no this isn't for us i'm sorry i can't help you you won't get them back and they don't feel don't feel intrinsically good to get back right so the first the first effect of like making an effort is that the localized density of failure rises around you and that's where a lot of people stop because you start working. It's the same with like just writing on the page, right? The amount of your own work that's a bit shit will increase the more effort you put into your writing because you will produce more work. And a percentage of that won't be immediately at the place you want it to be. And you'll have some ideas that don't particularly go anywhere although they're useful for you to hone your craft they might come up with an idea that you do a transplant and whack on you take the kind of good pancreas out of one story and put put it into another story uh, and the rest of it gets humanely destroyed but your experience of, of making effort your initial and ongoing experience of making effort will be the more you write the more you put yourself out there the more you allow yourself to be vulnerable by trying the more rejection you'll experience compared to your peers who don't do anything, who won't have to deal with that. And so many people stop there because the easiest way to do what um, Dr. Tim Pitcher, when he was on the show talking about procrastination, talked about to, to, to affect a, a mood repair, to make yourself in the moment feel better. Is to stop is to stop trying. And I don't think that is dumb. And I don't think that is shameful that you'd want to do that, because, of course, you want to, it's actually a very shrewd short-term strategy for making yourself feel better it's like i'm not going to engage with this i don't want to send stuff out i you know when i put even so much as a tweet online i have like a little vulnerability hangover afterwards where i've put that out and now it's kind of hanging there waiting to be judged and this is you know <laughs> but this is a kind of sin qua non of writing i have no idea whether i pronounce that right 
at what I just said. I went for a little bit of a little Latinate phrase. Um, and now I'm feeling that exact, exact vulnerability hangover I was talking about. Doesn't matter though, does it? Doesn't matter. We discover whether we can pronounce things or not together. What I'm saying is, it is, it is a good sign that you're moving in the right direction when the amount of failure around you in your writing, the amount of rejections increases. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not encouraging a kind of fire festival style attitude where as signs of disaster sort of <laughs> rack up you go we just gotta press on and you start kind of like singing high hopes and uh, marching into oblivion I'm not advocating you lead with your chin but what I'm saying is you can you can really really change your experience of creativity of opportunities in general um by taking on an abundance paradigm and a mentality of being lucky and being open to opportunities and and this isn't just some twee sort of positivist bullshit and i know that the publishing industry for example to take one example uh it, it has been historically and i'm sure still is very much so um, uh, slanted towards uh, white uh, cis male heterosexual middle class folk I just didn't want to say male men Um, and and so I'm you know I'm not I'm not meaning to sound like I'm playing down uh, kind of like institutional barriers that people face uh, nonetheless on a kind of like individualist so I think there's you know collectivist things we can do to help lift everyone up and, and remove some of those barriers so it's a true meritocracy and not just something that rewards people for accidents of their birth but um, on an individual level something you do have control over is is, is how you how you engage with those difficulties and feelings of frustration and, and and what i'm saying and this is partly to myself as well is when you start trying the first thing that's going to happen your first feedback from trying from making an effort will be more failure more discomfort that is just a fact and it's a i want you to know it not to make you feel bummed out but to but to to alert you to the fact that they are it's a good sign when you start getting those emails back saying this isn't for us, that's a good sign. It means you're moving in the right direction. Somebody like describe it to me as like you take on the, the the Hydra technique, right? Which is like every time, except you're the Hydra in this, right? Every time they chop off one of your heads and you get a piece of feedback about saying no, thank you, you grow two more. You send so for every rejection you get, you send out two more. You apply for two more things. Uh, so you've always got irons in the fire, always this feeling of possibility and stuff moving forward. The same with, you know, your writing. If you are feeling sort of bummed out by having a scene not going the way it should do, or the way that you envisaged, or the way that you hoped, or you're not getting it perfect first time, set a timer for 10 minutes, open your writing notebook, and just write just some lovely, delicious bollocks for... I don't mean like literal delicious testes. I'm not suggesting that you necessarily write sort of erotica, uh, if that's your jam. Although you could, right? And that could be really fun. You could just write a sexy, a sexy ball play style scene. I don't, well, sorry. I didn't mean to go down the whole testes route. For some reason, they're on my mind at the moment. Um, but, you know, you can have fun. You're allowed to have fun. And, you know, every time, you know, you get a rejection, you could go and write a 10 minute just free write on whatever's in your head. It, 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 these things are ways of just you coming to stuff with an abundance mentality and, and, and moving, you're getting your mind away from sort of spotting threats and avoiding them. Which, you know, when we talked to Dr. Tim Mitchell, he said that was one of the causes of procrastination is you get into threat avoidance rather than 
this kind of problem solving creativity thing you know give me 10 answers to this okay brain generate 20 answers to this what's in the hat box what's in the hat box of this guy standing on the station platform at king's cross what's in the big hat box spend 10 minutes and list me 20 things 20 specific possibilities for what's in the hat box those kind of exercises just get you back into this abundance mentality this play mentality this place where your creative side and we've all got the creative side hundreds of people have written to me from doing the couch 20k course and many of them convinced that they couldn't write convinced that they're or that they could no longer write convinced that they were burnt out convinced that their days of writing and enjoying it were over um convinced that their muse had dried up and and by doing these things a little bit what fires together wires together your brain will start creating pathways your emotionally you'll dis you'll uncouple this feeling of anxiety from the creative process you start pissing about you start having fun there's a reason right why improv groups are like fucking crazy cults of positivity right when people who do improv are like have got this like shiny eyed kind of mania about them where they're like oh my god it changed my life right it's because like embracing that kind of abundance is it's very infectious and it can spread to all different parts of your life that feeling of, of, of possibility and the more options we have the less it feels like the world's ending the more options we have the more possibilities we see uh the more free sense of freedom that we have but you have to train them you know with the leg weights on you have to train in the kind of you know ulipo called themselves said, said that they were rats um who built their own mazes to break free from and i think you know the this is what's going to save us as people right this is what's going to change the world this is what gives us ways out is when somebody is able to take ideas and tell compelling stories about them that show us new ways out new ways of thinking new ways of being and you know, we can tell one story of the progression of humanity that is like every time there's idealism, every time there's people believe in peace or freedom or something better than the kind of like crushing cogs of uh, capitalist greed and, and, and rapacious consumption. Every time somebody comes up with alternatives to that, it is it crushed by reality. It falls apart the 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 dream doesn't make it you know that, that we can tell that's one story we can tell but we can tell so many stories with the chaos and multiplicity of human life and some of those stories empower us and make us better and open new doors for us you know in your elms who was on at the beginning of this week he said story by story man makes man and i think he is right you know maybe no one single story you know turn turns the world onto a new course but which is good right because that would be a very sort of parlous and corrigible and scary place to be but we can through our exploration of stories, through our, you know, just that simple brainstorming, what's in that, what is in the hat box? That question unlocks so much of our human potential. It unlocks really kind of like what allows us to have done so many things, what allows me to be talking to you now. You know, there is incredible, incredible potential in those, in that simple mindset of creativity and possibility and you know where there is uncertainty there is also possibility and for me that's really exciting i'm, I'm going to do some work today on um, i'm putting together the 
the sort of extra bits of the the few little bonus bits of writing that I'm going to give out with the uh, pre-orders from Mr. B's Emporium. So I'm I'm doing some sort of stuff that's not on my work in progress today. Uh, and I do a bit of meditation as well. And I'm excited for all those things. And, you know, actually, it's quite nice to be doing something that has some set parameters uh, and has, you know, a little bit is a little bit folded down. I'm a bit I'm a bit nervous about the work in progress at the moment because I'm getting towards the end of the first draft. I'm, I'm nearing in. I've probably got about another 30,000 words to do. And it's scary because now it's starting to feel like a thing, whereas before it was a piss about. And now, you know, before it, I didn't know if it was going to be finished. I was just mon- monkeying about with it. Now I'm starting to see it more as it's starting to kind of calcify into a work of art. You know, something that I might have to like show to my agent at some stage and go, do you think you can flog this? Will people like it? Am I, you know, am I, is this any good? All of those questions are questions that may be worth asking later on but for the purposes of what I'm doing now you you have to write for mischief and you have to write for love and you have to write with the understanding that we're all gonna be dead one day and the earth is gonna disappear one day and one day you know the universe well as far as we know there's going to be heat death of the universe the universe passes into the degenerate era where no more stars are being born and the final stars burn out the last of their life and then this darkness settles across the universe and finally there'll just be areas that collapse into black holes and then photons drifting across an unimaginably vast void of nothingness drifting for billions of years billions upon billions upon billions of years before they come into contact with another photon and when those two photons meet they'll probably collide and annihilate one another and sometimes I'm scared of that impending inevitable void and how it sucks in every person I've ever loved. All the colours in the world, all the meaning. Everything we hold precious. My daughter, you, me. Everything we leave behind. But I think of what stillness is like as well. The quiet in between moments, the gaps when I'm meditating, when we rest, and the mind becomes quiet. And I'm also aware that there's a there's an incredible peace in those moments. And I wonder if that universe that we may be heading towards eventually, the great vastness full of nothing, I wonder if it might be quite peaceful, you know? I wonder if there might be a great celestial peace. Or the science just might be wrong, right? And that might be bollocks. Or we might invent something that allows us to pass between dimensions. Or from that nothing, something new might be born. A whole entire universe might spontaneously erupt from the nothing. Or it might all just stop arbitrarily. Like everything might just stop before then. Why should anything exist at all? We have no idea. Is there a God? Well, there might be. It makes about as much sense as anything else. This world is crazy and nobody knows. None of us know. None of us know what what really about what reality is and what's going on. And I think that is crazy and wondrous. And the fact that any of us can think about 
how should I write a query letter? <laughs> what if what if the Britain leaves the European Union or doesn't? Who gives a fuck about any of this? Like, life is crazy. And still in the middle of it, we manage to love each other and give each other hugs and make each other dinner and read each other's stories and write each other's stories. And I think whatever your religious views, that has got to be pretty miraculous. That in the midst of this utter, balmy havoc on the fulminating lip of this colossal volcano, human beings have managed to forge this place of love and normality and have a picnic. Well done us. Right, so I'm going to finish things there. I hope you have a lovely, abundant, joyous week of creation. We are the creators. We can make things. We have that power. You have that power to make things that have never existed before, to put two words together that have never sat beside each other. And when you do, you'll feel them fizzing. It's great. It's wonderful. Don't worry. I know like when I start talking about all this stuff that, you know, because of my mental illness history, it sounds like Tim might be about to you know, I might be kind of like six hours from leaving my house in Norwich in just a dressing gown with my genitals out, covered in red paint and uh, start uh, screaming uh, the 23rd Psalm through a megaphone to uh, people going in and out of uh, Gerald's department store while... um claiming that the end of the world is coming i'm i'm all right i'm fine i'm just happy and amazed and i think when we apprehend the world as it is there's always hope well done tim you've turned it into a sermon that's fine tim i think that people don't mind and now i'm talking to myself having reassured people about that i'm fine everyone i'm fine podcasts are weird aren't they have a lovely lovely week i will see you well i won't literally see you but I will talk to you next episode. Pre-order my book. <laughs>